0: Welcome to the Be Great Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the eight-man football coaching community. Here we discuss scheme, program building, program culture, and building and spreading the eight-man football game. This podcast is brought to you by Anywhere Apparel. Are you looking for custom screen printed and embroidered gear for your team, coaches, and fans? Contact Anywhere Apparel. That's Anywhere, A-N-Y-W-E-A-R, Apparel. We have access to all the great brands and items that will have your team looking their best. We are a locally owned small business that works with teams, businesses, and individuals. Next time you need custom apparel, make Anywhere Apparel your go-to. Contact Anywhere Apparel at art.anywhereapp at gmail.com. That's A-R-T dot A-N-Y-W-E-A-R-A-P-P at gmail.com. Or on the phone at 319-385-1763. Our guest today is Coach Seth Bass. If you're a part of the eight-man community, you've probably heard of him or listened to Coach Bass at a clinic or on a podcast. Coach Bass is one of our most knowledgeable and giving coaches in the eight-man community. I've, uh, I know I've picked his brain a couple of times. Coach Bass is in his 16th year as a coach. He's been coaching eight-man for eight years. Coach Bass is currently serving as the head coach at Northland Christian in Missouri. Coach Bass started his coaching career as a student assistant and equipment manager at Tennessee Tech and moved from there to Culver Stockton College in Missouri, making nine grand a year. That's real love of the game stuff there. Throughout the years, Coach Bass's teams have been known for their ability to run the ball through the read option system. They are very multiple and explosive. Today, we're going to uh, talk about his run game as well as the defense where he utilizes a two-man front on defense. Coach has coached his teams to conference championships in the 2018 and 2020 season. And in 2019, he took his team to the quarterfinals in Missouri. Please welcome Coach Bass to the Be Great Podcast. Coach, thanks for coming on. We appreciate having you here. Thanks, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, one thing I, I want to make sure I talk to uh, when I when I talk to coaches is their mentors. Um, you know, I think we all get where we are as coaches because somebody made a difference in our life. And and you put a couple guys down um, that I would I would like you to kind of talk about who they are to you and and what they did to help you out.
1: Um, well, Christian Gunther. He gave me my first job as a uh, as a startup way back when at Culver Stockton. You know, the extent of my experience with football was just from watching it and from being a, a student assistant at, at Tennessee Tech. Uh, I was at Tech for two years doing that and learned what I could, went to a couple clinics and tried to learn um, what I could about wide receivers because that's who I was mainly with at, at Tech. And uh, I knew that was going to be my entry to, to try and get into the, the coaching profession and he took a, a gamble on me, um, and it was, it was something with it being a part-time position. It was a gamble for me too, obviously financially. Um, moving nine hours from home too—that was something I had never experienced. I, I stayed in my hometown for college, and you know I had traveled some, but had never been away from home for any kind of length of time. So it was a, it was a unique experience all the way around. But um, he was a, a great coach, a, a great. Uh, man and really emphasized the right things uh, within the, the program there at Culver Stockton and really it was unfortunate that he didn't have more success as a head coach and that was we were in a position as a program at that point where our scholarship money was definitely not on par with what our competitors were in the, the hack uh, throughout Missouri and Kansas and up in Iowa and um, one of the best NAIA, NAIA conferences and for us to, to be behind the curve It hurt our wins and losses, but it also, it helped me as a young coach because I was able to to come in and have a lot of responsibility thrown at me. Uh, I was able to learn on the the fly, and uh, fortunately I was able to do that pretty well. But because we were so far behind the curve from, you know, a scholarship and talent standpoint, we had to be creative on how to be competitive. So um, the lessons I learned from a game planning standpoint and uh, how to uh, attack uh, defenses um, when he took over as offensive coordinator in 2007 my second year there um, we all as a staff had pretty good input from a game plan standpoint And he ran the offense for three years so uh, I had that experience for three years to, to kind of have input with game planning and uh, how to set things up and, and all those type of things and that was very very invaluable for me and uh, like I said his his emphasis on character there that was actually one of our uh, pillars of the the program um, I'll never forget that and you know he was a young guy he was 31 when he took over as, as head coach there and um, I was 23 I guess 24 had just turned 24 when I got hired so um, you know we were a young staff and we had fun together and we were all learning learning to together and um, he he did a lot of things at that program and did a, a lot of positives for me uh, kind of with one hand tied behind his back from the, the school so um, very indebted to him and, and very grateful for the uh, influence he had on me as a, a coach. And then uh, Dwayne Alexander was the the second coach that I worked under um, when I went down to Cumberland University after I left Culver uh, before 2010. He was actually a coach that I knew from my time as a student assistant at Tennessee Tech, and uh, he was another one that was great as far as emphasizing character and really built that around his program and both those guys being back-to-back taught me the lessons that you don't have to sacrifice those kind of things you don't have to sacrifice doing things right for your kids uh, for the the sake of of wins and I always suspected that at Culver but because we were losing with our talent deficiencies um, it it was a little bit harder to to deceive but when I went down there we were a top 25 team and he ran the program very similarly, so we just were able to, to get more kids in there from a talent standpoint, and uh, we had better location, better scholarship, all those kind of things to our advantage, so um, that was, that stuck with me a lot, and then um, he also, he didn't invent it, but he was one of the, the proponents of uh, the hybrid wing T system that's very popular in Tennessee, but he was one of the the first ones that did that, and he was running that at a college program, and that was something that was kind of unusual to to me. I mean, I'd seen, you know, flex bone option teams out there and I had seen obviously spread teams and pro teams at that point uh, in that time period of football, but I really didn't see any college teams that were running hybrid wing. And that was, that stuck out at me too, because even at that, you know, high of a level or even low of a level, depending on how you look at it from a college football standpoint, um, but to be able to, to go out and do that. And his philosophy was simple. He said, look at the NAI level, there's a ton of these little, you know, 5'8", 5'9", 5'7", running backs out there that can run. And you have these linemen that are pretty undersized. They can play, but they're just not enormous. So what kind of system do you want um, want them in? And it made perfect sense. And we were very successful with it. And uh, it, that really stuck out to, to me. And um, from a game planning sense too, you know, I'd learned a lot from the past game and uh, well, really everything at Culver and I was kind of more of a pass guy, and I looked at outside perimeter space more from a, a pass standpoint for my uh, offensive, uh, this mostly spread offense at, at Culver, and Coach Alexander took a different approach, and, you know, when we were game planning, I think it was for Lindsey Wilson, uh, when they started up their program, we're sitting there watching film one day, and, um, you know, we're talking about what we see and what, what kind of vulnerabilities are out there, and I, I don't remember what I said. It was something pass-related, and he was pointing at the space out there, and he said, "I'd rather run out there." It was something kind of struck me, and I'd never really thought about it, but it, you know, it made perfect sense. So now, when I see space from a game planning standpoint going forward, um, I took my first head coaching job not too long after Cumberland. Um, from a game planning standpoint going forward, that's how I approached it too. I, I looked at it that you know we want to get into that space. Every coach wants to get into that space, but you want to get into that space in the the safest, most efficient way possible, and even though I'm not afraid to throw the ball, even though statistics might point that way. Um, it's, I also do subscribe to the theory a little bit that there's two, there's three things that can happen when you throw the ball and two of them are bad. So uh, if you can run the ball out there, they're the same and have the, the same type of effect as you would for a short pass, then um, I'm going to choose to run it. But um, those two guys, uh, you know, I owe them a lot in my coaching career. And, you know, starting off at nine, Grand at Culver and finishing at twelve five um, after four years, and then I'm actually made nothing at Cumberland because I was a, a technically a GA there. Uh, just got dorm and tuition to um, get some more master's credits from education. It, it was it was an expensive, I guess, or a, maybe not an expensive, but a, a financial um, sacrifice. But those five years of my coaching career, <clears throat> the, the lessons I learned I have stayed with me since then and i've built so much off of it and even some things that i kind of maybe strayed and tried some things on my own i've kind of fallen back to the the things that i learned from those two guys um uh, since then on you know program structure offensive structure and even some defensive stuff so um it's those five years were great and those two men i still talk to coach alexander quite a bit because uh, i mean he's head coach in my hometown now in cookville at tennessee tech which is his alma mater too and I go see him every time I'm home and uh, still talk to coach gone through every couple, a uh, couple times a year. Or so uh, I've, I've stayed involved with those guys and they've still stayed involved with me. And that means a lot to me.
0: Absolutely. You know, having uh, mentors on that, you know, not only you can learn from, you know, about X's and O's and those kind of things, you know, just how to be a, a man, how to be a coach, you know, those guys are invaluable. And sounds like you have two really good guys there that you're still in contact with. Um, so that's, that's awesome. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about offense, you know, running into the space and stuff. And, um, you know, we I've watched some of your film this year. You know, we have been in touch the last couple of years about running, um, you know, some of the things that you run. Um, you know, what are, you, you know, you kind of run that spread option kind of stuff. I see, you know, you got into some two back or, you know, three back stuff, I guess, you know, with a stack and the shotgun. You know, um, what are some advantages you see with with your offensive system? You know, and if you maybe want to explain it a little bit for for people that are unfamiliar with it, you know, kind of maybe explain what you do. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, some advantages uh, that you, you see in that and why you still, you know, why you run it.
1: Yeah. Um, my offensive philosophy kind of goes back to my Culver days uh, when we were, excuse me, when we were in a uh, game planning meetings, that was right around the time towards my, at the end of my Culver career and then into the Cumberland times was right when Oregon was really uh, starting to, Get rolling out on the west coast under Chip Kelly with the, the spread option stuff they were running, and I loved it. I uh, was a big fan of it, and always tried to get Coach Gunther to, to implement a, a little bit of it uh, at uh, Culver, and we never got around to it. And it, but it stuck in my head that I wanted to, to try it. And uh, you know, when I went to Cumberland with him, branching my thoughts on running into space, out on the, the edge, and those kind of things. You know, I came back to that in my head. I knew he wasn't going to run. Um, much option if any with uh, the wing T stuff he had his established system so it, it stuck in my head when I, I got a head coaching job then I was gonna try it and um, I took my first head coaching job there right after uh, Cumberland which was 2011 and had never heard of eight-man football before that was my first experience with it when I took that job so my philosophy—I leaned back, uh, scaled back a little bit on what I knew, which was I had just come off of Coach—excuse me, Coach Alexander's wing tee. So I kind of ran the eight-man version of the the hybrid wing tee that he was running, and it was okay for a couple years. You know, we had some good success. Uh, we had some really good talent with our, our wing backs, and that was really about it. Uh, our linemen could have been good if I knew how to coach them, and I didn't know how to coach them at that point, but. Uh, before the 2013 season which would have been our third I would play JV year in 2011 and then 2012 we played a varsity year and then 2013 if we would have been able to have a team um, our school was dying unfortunately but if we would have had a team I had the stuff that I'm running now all drawn up which was kind of an eight-man version of the the Oregon stuff and I knew if I could get back to eight-man football which I wanted to do if I could get back to eight-man football that's what I wanted to, to run because I, I knew no one in Tennessee was running it which I mean that was like 10 teams, so that maybe didn't stretch it real far. Uh, I hadn't seen any film from any of the Alabama teams that were running it, so uh, it seemed like it was unique, and when I got the North Shelby job in 2016, that was the the first play we put in. Uh, probably shouldn't have been the first play we put in in hindsight, but we put in uh, triple, and uh, to compare it to 11-man, uh, it would be the equivalent of mid-triple, because uh, the philosophy I've taken, again, it was trying to be the eight-man version of Oregon. We do it from more of a, a spread look. So we run a, a lot of three-man offensive line sets, uh, but we're still running triple. Uh, so we're reading that defensive end, which is going to be a three technique, obviously. So uh, it happens fast. And, you know, again, when we went through the schedule at North Shelby, I didn't see anybody else running in Missouri. Obviously stayed there for a few years. And it started, you could see it start popping up uh, around the state. So. I liked it. It seems like it's been pretty popular and, and a lot of people seem to, to like the idea of it because it's a little bit different. You know, the other option teams that I've noticed in eight-man are more traditional. Uh, they tend to be under center, uh, still running a five-man line, trying to do it more like the the traditional uh, under center veer type of, of look and running. Not as much triple necessarily, but running a little bit of midline, running a little bit of inside veer, running a little bit of power and trap and those kind of things. And They've had great success. You know, Stanbury's had great success with it. North Andrews had great success with it here in, in Missouri. And I know there's other teams around the the region and country that are, are doing it. But, I mean, this is not a knock on those offenses because I love those offenses too. But I like changing formations. I like bumping guys around. And we're able to do that with the, the spread option. So, like with our two-back stuff, our single, we'll have a wing and a, just a pistol back. We're in a, a short pistol. Um, Our our B back, our dive back is still hitting almost as fast as a, you know, under under center would because our quarterback should be at three yards, even though for about three years uh, we haven't been able to to do that because we had a a very strong center at North Shelby that just rifled the ball back there and we had to back up because of him. And then this year at Northland, uh, we were at five yards because we were passing a, a whole lot more than we were running with our inexperience. So, but system-wise the the rule is that we want our quarterback at three and then we want our be back around four so I mean it's he's hitting that hole pretty fast and with that short edge it makes for a pretty quick read and we all know eight-man football is predicated on space and if you can get to that edge you're in business so we shorten the edge and we read the edge and uh, that has been pretty successful uh, for us and um, you know uh, kind of made fun of myself earlier that I'm not afraid to to throw the ball, but, you know, statistically speaking, the most that we threw the ball uh, in my five years at North Shelby was 17%. We were 83-17 to run to pass split. So uh, I'm definitely not known for airing it out, although we changed that this year and we were uh, pass heavy here at Northland Christian, but I still think I'd have to go back and do the stats. We were probably maybe 65-35 uh, pass to the run, which – for what we had to do and trying to sling it, I was still making sure that we were learning our option stuff for the, the future. So um, I enjoy it. I mean, it's – I think it's difficult to, to game plan for. Uh, I've talked to some of my buddies that have played over the years or that have checked us out, and um, they say that we're kind of a pain in the butt to, to game plan for because we changed so many formations. And, um, you know, there's a, a lot of guys out there that I talk to that try to incorporate some aspects of it into their offense. You know, Sean Burks up in Audubon, Iowa's. Uh, incorporated it into his already strong run game and had great success with it. Uh, Robbie Hatton, um, we actually—it was funny. Uh, Robbie up in Michigan, uh, we actually talked on the Facebook group. I don't remember what year, maybe 2017 or 2018, and we forgot about it. Um, and I deleted my Facebook, and we were talking in the eight-man chat, and I had to reactivate my Facebook for something. Or I was going through old messages on Facebook Messenger or something, and came across it that we had actually talked at one point and. Uh, he was running the the same stuff up there, so I don't remember if we stumbled across each other, or I got it from him, I got some stuff from him, or vice versa. But um, you know, he had great success and won a, a title up at uh, colon up a, in Michigan with it, and uh, you know, you've had some success with it there in, uh at Winfield Mountain Union and in, in Iowa there. So it's it's cool to see it sprout up, and it's cool to see it pop up, and um, you know, when you go to, to clinics and things like that, it's cool to. I
0: don't know, it's, yeah, yeah, we see it, you know, we're starting to see it more, not just, you know, we we kind of brought it into our district, Mm -hmm. you know, and then some, you know, by the end of the season, you're seeing three, four other teams do it. And, you know, as you watch the playoffs around the state and watch film and stuff, you, you start to see that kind of that wrinkle, you know, a lot of teams are doing it, whether it's out of a stack back or, you know, they find a way to get to a triple option out of it, you know, so you definitely see the influence of it.
1: Yeah. And it's cool because it's, I mean, one of the big things I love about eight man football is there's still a whole lot of room for innovation. So like when you're, and I'm not taking any claim whatsoever here to be an innovator, but it's cool to see things that you're doing crop up around coaching because you know, you're stealing from other people. So if you're paying it forward, it feels like I'm paying it forward to other guys. And if they're getting some usefulness out of it, then I know I didn't just steal it from my own, selfish ambitions or just to, to have fun with it or, or whatever so that's a, a satisfying feeling and I I enjoy that so um
0: so I got a quick question I you know I heard you say that this year um you know by your standards you aired it out a little bit more and you sent sure. me a couple of films and I watched it and I did notice that um so was that a personnel decision was it something for your league you know or you know were your guys not able to necessarily execute the triple or you know, your, your read game or, you know, what, what made you kind of, like you say, aired out a little bit this year?
1: That was a variety of factors. Uh, the biggest one was personnel um, with us being a, a brand new program this year. Uh, our kids had no football experience. Uh, we do not have a weight room at Northland Christian, so we had no strength really what to speak of. So it was one of those things coming off of North Shelby, you know, we were rolling there. We'd been in the weight room for for five years and we had a veteran team and we were able to line up and, push most people around uh, in most weeks. And in Northland, uh, we went to to camp. Uh, We, you know, practiced it a little bit this summer. We went to camp at Graceland in July. And granted, we didn't have our entire team, but we we couldn't catch the snap, we couldn't get the timing. Uh, Even in practice, our mesh reads and stuff just weren't there. And it takes a while to install the offense normally. And with the inexperience, it slowed us down even more. So looking at our personnel and looking at the kids we had, we had a, an undersized, not very strong offensive line. We had a really good slot type kid, uh, whatever we were going to put him at. 5'7, um, 5'8, five, five, you know, 160 pound running back, 4'5 kid, maybe 4'4 four, four kid, um, pretty strong, probably a, a kid that's with that the, the most out of our team. Uh, we had another slot that was maybe a tenth or two slower than him, so 4'5, four, 4'6 four, kid. And then we ended up with two pretty big receivers that were six, four, and that could run a little bit too. So, you know, looking around our, our linemen, they weren't going to be able to mash people, but they were going to be able to get in the way. So uh, we decided to, to make the switch after camp. And we actually switched it during camp. It was funny. We were, we went up there on a Friday, um, got our butts kicked Friday night. Uh, we had to even borrow a kid from Orick, uh to use as a, a lineman that night because we were so short. We had a, kid that was driving up that night after a baseball game and then uh, we had him Saturday but Friday night we got our butts kicked Saturday we got our butts kicked so bad we sat out of the the last session because we were so beat up and we just watched and you know we were starting to to learn some lessons so uh, we had some practice time in between the sessions and we went up and started repping some screens well we came out Sunday morning in the the final session which was a goal line session and you know scored on our first two plays running some screens um threw a pick on our third play, which should have been a touchdown, but basically we ran 10 plays that morning and we should have scored on uh, eight of them. I think Uh, we ended up scoring on four or five, but we came out and we looked like a whole other team. So we knew then it was like, okay, this is what we're going to roll with going forward. It's not that we're going to abandon the the run game, but for us to function early in the season until we learn that um, that's what we got to lean on. So we leaned on our talent, which was on the perimeter. Um, Those kids they could learn to be receivers a lot quicker than they could, you know, tight ends or um, anything else. So we were able to get the ball to them in space. They were able to do some good things and we dropped a lot of passes. I'm not going to lie. Um, we are a poor quarterback at a 49% completion percentage. And the, uh, that was mostly due to drops uh, probably should have been in the 60 to 65% completion percentage range. Cause he was accurate, but you know, it is what it is with the new team, but you know we were able to put up 30 points per game we were able to win a game uh, we were competitive in a couple of others so we we showed some flashes which was nice and like I said we didn't completely uh, abandon our run stuff uh, we worked on it through the season and we actually had a bye week uh, during the, the year which is unusual but that's the way our schedule fell with it being a new team so week five right in the middle of the season we didn't have anybody to prepare for us so we went back to to wrapping our option stuff and now that we had played four games now it's starting to click a little bit. So we came back out week six, uh, we were able to run uh, some midline uh, or, you know, read. Uh, it's kind of a read option, um, just downhill. It's like a read zone, but we're in pistol. So, I mean, it's whatever you want to call it. Uh, we were able to run that week six. Uh, week seven, we put in triple, but we weren't quite ready for it. And I'll be honest, week seven, we played just, oh, no, let me just think here. I don't I don't know, week seven or eight, uh, we tried it and we weren't ready for triple. Yeah, it was week seven. So uh, we weren't ready for it. And uh, we called it, I think, once, but we just played awful that night. Uh, week eight, we did break it out, and that was actually our primary game plan when we played uh, Bishop LeBlond. And, you know, LeBlond was a good team. They were number 10, I think, in the the state at the, the time. And we were able to move the ball on them pretty well. I mean, we I'm not going to lie, we got our butts kicked. But it was – we were able to, to do some good things, and we should have put up some more points. We threw five or six picks in the game, and I think – four of them were inside the 15 yard line. So, I mean, it's, uh, we came away empty a lot of times that we shouldn't have, but uh, we put, it was our, our week six and our week eight were our first two games. I think we went over 200 yards rushing in both of those games. And uh, we started to look a little bit more like what uh, I guess the, the reputation for a coach bass team would have been. So uh, we started moving that direction and that's the, the way that we would be looking to, to be uh, next year. So we got our quarterback and our running back back. They were both sophomores this year. So that mesh is just going to get better going through the, the summer. Um, most of our team talent-wise next year is actually going to be more lineman types. So um, if we're able to, to put it back together next year, if we can get our numbers up, uh, we're at kind of a weird point, the the small school thing. We don't have any seniors uh, on the, the team, projected seniors on the team next year. And I've only got three incoming freshmen, so numbers are going to be hurting next year. But if we can have enough to get on the the field, then we should look a, a lot more like what teams are, are used to. My teams, seeing at least from an offensive play calling standpoint. So I mean, we're going to be young. We're not going to go out and blow anybody out, or maybe even beat anybody. But we're we're going to be doing our option stuff again.
0: Awesome. I mean, good luck. That's. I think low numbers is starting to is something everybody's starting to see around the. Uh the country a little bit i know we're going to be uh facing some low numbers for what i what i consider low numbers um you know for eight man football but i kind of want to come back to uh you said this is the first year uh that your school had football
1: yeah yeah and that was the that was one of the biggest reasons of life north shelby you know i I hated uh, i left 12 seniors behind probably a a preseason number one team if i would have stayed and i love those kids to to death you know there were some things at north shelby that, that happened over the years that had just kind of left me jaded that had nothing to do with the kids and really had nothing to do with about 90 percent of the other people there but the the combination of that and my desire I've always wanted since I got into the football I always wanted to start a program from scratch and um, I started looking a little in the off season and actually um, had found not only Northland Christian uh, but Calamus Wheatland up in Iowa where I was starting football too and uh, looked into uh, to both of those and uh, talked to, uh, to both schools and ended up going with the the familiarity uh, of Missouri and knowing the opponents I was going to go against and um, I, I really liked the location of Northland Christian. I really liked my AD that hired me, uh, Eric Montgomery, and uh, I felt good about the the future of the program at the the time and and uh, decided to go with that and take the the plunge and you know it was again hard lo- lo- leaving those. Uh, 12 seniors in that team at North Shelby, but uh, they understood, uh, you know, they had a lot of respect for me and uh, it was a lot of mutual love between us and they they knew why I left. And um, it, it was an opportunity that I felt I needed to to try and and do because you never know when you're getting another chance to start a program. So uh, came in and met with the kids at the, the end of, of May and we started in June and had 10 kids first day of practice and I'm not going to lie. I was like, Oh geez, what is this? But uh, we ended up peaking at about 18 kids. Uh, we were pretty steady on 16 all year and uh, we were able to win our first game of the, the season, which was great, a great experience for the other kids. And um, you know, it was a, a fun time. So it's, you know, starting a, a program is it, for those I know I'm not the only one out there that's thought of it and that's dreamt of it. It's an experience for sure. And there's a lot of things that, you would never think of that, that go along with it uh, as far as you know questions you get asked or um, even a support type of thing and I don't mean that from uh, you know in a, in a negative sense but you know we're used to okay Friday Night Lights means football and well when you haven't had a football program at a school before especially a pretty new school our school itself is only 12 years old I think um, it's there's people that weren't used to that, but by the end, you know, our last game was against Casey East, which was uh, about 20 minutes away from us. We had a huge crowd that came out to that and uh, it was a, it was a good time. So uh, people were starting to figure it out and starting to enjoy the the time. And uh, they got a show that night uh, when we played Casey East. we lost, but the score was like 72 to 58, like a typical or a stereotypical eight man score. So, I mean, we were both up and down the the field and we would have done a little bit better on our two point conversions or, read a couple of run plays right, then it probably goes the, the other way for us. But it was a, it was an experience for sure.
0: So I'm going to talk about, you know, you started a new program there. You know, there's about a million different things you can do as a coach on what's important and all that. And, you know, I'm a big, big believer in, you know, you keep the main thing, the main thing. You know, so what was your main thing as you started uh, this program uh, there at Northland?
1: Uh, the big thing for me was obviously, you know, trying to go off the example that Coach Gunther and Coach uh, Alexander had set for me, which was trying to, um, trying to, you know, build around a character. And obviously with a Christian school, uh, I was able to do that a lot more biblically than, uh, than I, I could maybe at a, a public school. But um, I actually have the, the verse still that I read my kids that first day, which was, um, and I didn't actually label what it was from. So I can't tell you what verse it's actually from, but <laughs> it's, uh, um, uh, it's do you give the, the horse its strength or close its neck, clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust, striking terror with its proud snorting, It paws fiercely, rejoicing in its strength, and charges into the fray? It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against the side, along with the flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, it eats up the ground. It cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of the trumpet, it snorts. Uh And uh, the reason I chose that, I know it's from the book of Job, but I don't remember the exact chapter or anything. Um, The reason I chose that, if you've ever seen our mascot or anything, I mean, our our helmet kind of became famous on uh, Twitter during the the Twitter helmet battle this summer, but um, our our logo is the trailblazers and we have a a horse head, uh, kind of a, I don't know, it's not really a flaming horse head, but kind of looks flaming uh, horse head. So I chose that, but... I really liked the the scripture that it talked about, you know, trying to to overcome fear and and almost laughing in the the face of it and trying to, um, you know, build off of the the strength that that comes along with that. So uh, I told it to the the kids the first day that that was going to be the the building block of what we went off of and that we wanted to make sure that uh, we weren't going to be afraid to, you know, make fools of ourselves when we were learning. We weren't going to be afraid to ask questions. We weren't going to be afraid to you know, challenge ourselves or to put ourselves out there or to, you know, play with half effort or anything like that. And uh, I'm sure there was more to it. But th- those were the things that we wanted to, to build off of for the that first year team, that debut team. And uh, I think our kids did a, a good job of that. Uh, you know, we obviously had competitive issues being a first year team, just like you're always going to. But I don't feel like our kids really shied away. Um, I don't really feel like our kids ever gave up in, in any kind of instance. And, and I had a few coaches tell us that uh, during the, the year that they noticed it so and I know it was probably annoying for some teams I mean the we were we were still battling towards the, the end when the, the game was well in hand and uh, we gave up some extra scores uh, that made our scores look a little worse uh, because of it but we just we weren't quitting we were trying to put points on the, the board and one of the, the guys that covers Missouri eight-man football Anthony Crane he asked actually asked me that after the blonde game I think we lost that game like 80 to 26 or 80 to 30 something and uh he said, he's like, why did you I don't remember how he worded it, but, you know, why are you, or I admire you guys, and why don't you, like, ever raise the white flag, you just kind of keep going for it, I was like, well, you know, we, we got to, I mean, I, I can't, you know, I can't preach that as our, our cornerstone, and then, uh, you know, back off, and it was, that's why it was heartbreaking, we actually had to forfeit our playoff game, our, our district game, because we were, we were just so beat up, we stayed healthy all year from anything major, but, the last two weeks, all of a sudden it just caught up with us and we were down to 11 kids for the playoff game. And four of those kids were on kind of shaky ground, either due to illness or nagging injuries. And we just, for safety, we had to to pull the plug. And uh, I mean, it was, it was unfortunate not only to have to to quit that and tell the kids that, but um, it was unfortunate because it was against the team that we had beat earlier in the year. So it could have been a chance for us to build some momentum and um, maybe go into the off season a, a little bit uh, better, but, uh, and it was unfortunate too, because we didn't get to tell the kids in person. Uh, we actually had our uh, a film session on Wednesday. We had to move it back just for some things that week. And, uh, you know, they came in watched film and we all left or they all left thinking we were going to play. And we thought we were going to play. We met as coaches that night. And during the, the meeting, we actually had a couple other kids that, uh, dropped off by the, the wayside I mean we thought we were going to be at 12 or 13 and we ended up with 11 and the 11 we were left with uh, we had one center left out of four and that center was one of the kids that was banged up and we just said look we can't we can't do this to our kids and we can't put our quarterback in our backfield at, at risk if we're having bad snap issues and having to you know jump on the ground if we have to put somebody else in so unfortunately I had to, to do it but that's that was a longer version of a story than I should have. I got kind of sidetracked, but that was um, for, for starting off, that was what we were wanting to, to emphasize. And um, you know, it it was unfortunate that it ended the way it did, but again, credit to our kids that they, they bought in and and followed it well.
0: Yeah. I mean, you talk about having to, to forfeit there. And I think a lot of, of eight man programs, a lot of programs in general are having to have that discussion at some point here in the last couple of years, you know, what's, what's, you know, Proving to your kids that we don't quit. And then, you know, not putting kids out in a position where they're going to get hurt. You know, we're all about doing what's best for our kids. And I, you know, it's from the sounds of it, you definitely did the right thing there. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not fun to tell your kids, we're not going out this week, but at the same time, I think they deep down inside, they know that that's probably the right decision.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's just the nature of the beast, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. I switch gears a little bit here. Um, You know, I think between the both of us, we're both big offensive guys, but, um, you know, on the on the app here, you've been getting um, some questions and stuff about you. You run a two two man front defense where I was watching a little bit of your your film. So you got two guys that are uh, with playing with their hand in the dirt. And then you got your defensive ends that are, are you know, outside linebackers up in a stand up. Um, just kind of talk a little bit about maybe like the main just the main principles behind it, um, you know, and maybe the advantages, disadvantages, things like that, if you would.
1: Um, we actually switched to that. After my second year at North Shelby, um, we were we were very young in 2017 there and we were pretty good at defensive line, um, but we were bad defensively. Uh, We were 22nd out of 23 teams, I think is what we had that year in Missouri. Uh, I know we were next to last. And I sat down uh, my defense coordinator that year, got promoted at his job. So he wasn't going to be able to come back. Um, I had a kid that had played as a, a defensive lineman when I was at Culver that I knew was in the area and I'd always wanted to bring in as my DC. And he finally uh, got a different job where he was able to, to, to work uh, for me and come out and be my DC. So the three of us and my other assistant um, that I had hired then, uh, Jacob Ritchie, who was an alum, a North Shelby, uh, me and him. Or yes, me, him, Coach Haberlin, which was my incoming DC, and, and Coach Force, my outgoing DC, all sat down and talked about what we needed to, to be doing, uh, what we needed to attack. And we had our meeting and, you know, we decided, okay, these are our strengths. These are our weaknesses. And that was right before I went out to Nebraska. Uh, I actually had my first, uh, coaching clinic talk that I was giving, which surprised the heck out of me because we were three and seven, but, um, uh, coach Clarkson, uh, out in Nebraska, um, he was an option guy and he thought some of my option stuff was kind of unusual and he thought it would be cool for some of the Nebraska guys to to hear about it. So I went out there scared to death. I'll be honest because who wants to, to make their debut at a coaching clinic after you've been three and seven talking about option in the state that basically invented option, but it was, it was an experience, but anyway, uh, I went out there and did that. And when I was out there, um, I forget his name. I've got it on my laptop, but I don't have my laptop at home. Um, so I, I hate to not give him credit, but there was a coach that was presenting there that um, was running the, the two, three. He was the the last presenter, I think, of the day uh, before I, I left. And he was talking about how they were in the two, three, and it was, um, you know, a little bit unusual. And I sat there and I, I knew right then I said, this is perfect. So. Took notes, talked to him a little bit afterwards and, um, you know, got some stuff from him a, a little bit later and, uh, you know, took it back to my coaches and we all sat down and uh, talked to uh, about what how it was going to work. Uh, Steve Neptune, Steve Neptune from West Holt. So Coach Neptune, if you're, if you're listening to this, thank you very much. So I've got to give him credit for, for doing it. And he had gotten it, I think, from one of the Claiborne's down in Oklahoma, but I got it from Steve. Anyway, uh, went back to the other coaches uh, the following weekend. We all sat down again, and we started drawing formation after formation. And, you know, here's what we're going to see from this team. Here's what we're going to see from this team. Here's some other crazy stuff that we might see. How do we line up to all these different things? Because what we didn't want to do and what we were getting in trouble with the year before was not only, I mean, we were getting gashed because our D-line was good, but they were getting blocked. They weren't good enough to just overpower people. But what we were running into was we were going back and forth between a four front and a three front. And I'm a guy that likes to have rules. I like to have set rules. I like my kids to have set rules. And I don't like to break those rules. I, I like them to go out on the field and if they see this, then they do this. Well, we were drawing stuff up. I wanted to play with a free safety. So if we were going to play with a three safety, or excuse me, a free safety, that pretty much left us with either a three, two, three or the two, three, three that I just learned about. And The more we were drawing stuff up against the 3-2, we didn't like it. And if I would have known um, Coach Blosser a a little bit better down at Caldwell in Kansas, if I would have known him and seen some of his stuff that he does with the 3-2 as far as changing his fronts and tucking guys in with the the D-line and it helps a a lot more with formation adjustment, I might have gone a different way. I don't know. Um, But, you know, the rest is is history. The, The more we drew things up, the more our two-three against just about everything looked about the same. You know, our kids could read the same thing or or they could pretty much be aligned in the same way. Uh, We could get a little bit more creative with our blitzes and our our pressures and those kind of things. And we also felt because we were strong at defensive line, this was going to be a way to help them because now we were going to be able to platoon them. We could put two guys in there. They could go balls out for three plays. We could pull them off, put the other guys in for three plays. And it was just – they could go, 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 but we could rest them. And we all know in eight-man football, your D-line is going to be your offensive line. So if we could save them because we were trying to be a little bit more no-huddle on offense, then that was going to help us a, a lot. So uh, it worked. All of those factors kind of worked into us coming to that. We knew the the movement up front with our D-line being good was going to attract attention. We didn't know how much attention necessarily, but from watching um, – Steve's stuff and seeing that, we had a pretty good feeling that two guys were at least going to occupy three. And with as good as one of our defensive linemen was, we thought probably going to occupy four in some instances. So we liked that. We went and drew it. We started, um, you know, actually drawing up the the defense, coming up with pressures, coming up with our rules. Um, I actually talked to uh, one of my other buddies, um, Bill Shepard over in Illinois, that offseason as well, I don't remember what we were talking about. I think we were talking offense, and then I was asking him about some defensive stuff because he had presented at the, the Illinois clinic. They had just switched to eight-man in Illinois. That was the first year of, of eight-man. They had, like, three teams in 2017, I think, and then 2018, they were up to five. But he was talking about what they did defensively, and he mentioned something called triangle fits. I'd never heard of triangle fits, and even talking to him on the phone the first time, it didn't really click with me and the, the more he explained it the second time on the phone then it started to, to kind of register and really what the triangle fits were was perfect for what we were doing for the the 233 and if you're listening and you don't know what a triangle fit is the easiest way to explain it over audio is it's kind of like a, a wheel where guys fit off of each other we all are trying we all want to be gap sound pre-snap we try to really emphasize being gap sound post-snap because the gaps all change. You start having pullers, you start having guys on the edge, you start having guys get kicked out or pinned or or whatever. So on the perimeter that fit exactly what we wanted to do with the two, three, if our outside backer got kicked out, then our corner should fold in Uh, or if he couldn't get there, then the free safety should blow it up Um, or even the middle backer, if he ought to be clean. So we were drawing all these scenarios up and trying to, to make sure it worked. We start practicing it. It looks good in practice. We're, we're doing great all summer. Uh, we go to William Penn's team camp, and um, I want to say Cam is the, the first team we played when we we're at uh, William Penn. We come out and we play Cam, and first play of the the little scrimmage session there at, at camp, they go around the edge and, and run for a touchdown. And Habe and I, um, Coach Haverland and I, uh, look at each other, and we're both like, "Okay, what the heck happened?" But we looked at it it was a pretty obvious fix after that we did pretty well you know was physical team obviously the um, state champs this past year this was 2018 so they weren't quite state champs yet but they were still pretty dang good they were on the the, the rise we did all right against them uh, we were playing uh, collins maxwell i think was the other team that was there i think i've got that name right uh they they were there and we were bringing pressure with them, and we were just absolutely messing with their heads. Um, we had to do all kinds of, of walkthroughs with them. Their offensive line was trying to, to fix it, and I'm not saying that to, to not Collins-Maxwell whatsoever because it wasn't them. We They liked us. They were talking to us afterwards a little bit, and Haib and I and Coach Rich, we all kind of looked at each other after that camp and were like, okay, we got something now. So, um, you know, started running it, ran it in 2018, had some decent success with it, uh, and but our kids, our core, that, that 12 senior group that I told you I had to leave this year, they were freshmen there in 2018, so they got in the system, and they were in it. So by the time we were playing the, the big boys in 2019 and then in 2020, and then, of course, this year as seniors, um, they they had a really good grasp of what we were trying to do defensively. So um, they made it go, but you know we've got film where our two defensive linemen are occupying – you know, four guys, and if you're occupying four guys with two guys, that's a win for you. And we all know, schematically speaking, everybody on offense they're trying to be a, a to get numbers. They're trying to get numbers. They're trying to create space. Well, what we like about the two-three is that it eliminates all of those things. All right, eight-man football is known for big plays. Playing with free safety should take that away. Um, we are. Uh, In eight-man football, you obviously, or even 11-man football, you want to try and gain a guy, we feel like, and I've talked to coaches that confirm this, it's really hard to account for that free safety coming down. You can usually block the the middle backer, or you can get to the outside backer. You can rarely get to both, and if you can get to both, you still can't get that free safety if he comes screaming down, because most eight-man offenses aren't built to account for an alley player. So now you've gained numbers at the the second and third level that most teams don't have to to deal with. And then uh, of course space, you know, you're you're pretty balanced. You're, you're able to line up to formations. Uh, teams can't formation you nearly as much as they they maybe could some other things. So we we felt it was a great thing. And even this year, you know, if you look at our numbers at Northland Christian with us being a first year team, 67 points a game doesn't sound like it's a, a positive for for the defensive system. It sounds like it doesn't work. But Looking at the film, conceptually, it still did what it was supposed to do. It kept our linebackers clean most of the time. It kept our free safety clean. We just didn't trigger. We weren't experienced enough where we were able to to get our fits. We weren't able to fit off of each other real well. We did not grasp the triangle concept real well. So we covered each other up in the gaps during the play. So all of those type of things really, um, it it didn't really click with us this year. And, And looking back with us teaching it to new kids, uh, Coach McHugh and my new defense coordinator here, he and I talked at the end of the season. And we both kind of agreed. We didn't emphasize daylight with the the defense. We need them to feel daylight. They were too focused on changing the, the ball, or excuse me, chasing the, the ball. So they got themselves out of position doing that. So going into next year, that's something that we think we can fix. And we should be able to take a, a pretty big step forward, hopefully uh, next year defensively. Um, it, it's not perfect, obviously, Um, you you can be vulnerable to um, really good power run teams if they're really good gap scheme teams that can give you some trouble Um, the biggest thing we had issues with over the years with 2-3 and it's funny because most people think that the 2-3 is built for uh, you know trying to take away spread offenses but it's really not it should take away anything but the thing it's most vulnerable to is probably a scrambling quarterback Um, that's what knocked us out of the playoffs in 19 and 20 uh southwest livingston both times they had superman at quarterback mac anderson in uh 2019 big six six two twenty five 225 kid that was like a ran a four seven and set all kinds of missouri rushing records because he was just an animal to bring down and it wasn't the defense that lost it for us we couldn't tackle um, because he was six six two twenty five 225 and we weren't so uh laws of physics got us in that game and We think, lo and behold, okay, Mac graduated and we should be able to beat him in 2020. Well, COVID hits and um, they have a quarterback move back. Wes Hughes, great kid, great player, got to know him at the the All-Star game, but he moves back home and plays with him and is just a freaking stud. I mean, great quarterback, great passer. Um, And we took away the pass game decently. You know, he was below 50% when we played him. Um, We took away the running back. I think he had 38 yards rushing against us and Wes, scrambled all over us. He ran for like 220 yards on us. So, I mean, it was, you can't take away everything. So that left us vulnerable in that case, but um, you know, overall, uh, I believe in it completely. Um, The the other thing that we wanted to do, you know, I I talked about, I wanted to play with a free safety. I wanted to play zone as well. And teams, people always think that I wanted to play zone to take away the pass. I wanted to play zone for the run game because especially in eight man football, if you are trying to play man and you're trying to make that your run key and your pass key, and you also have to worry about trying to cover that kid. If it is a pass, that's a lot of pressure on your kids. So we wanted it where our linebackers were reading the same thing all the time. They didn't have to worry about pass whatsoever. They could just play downhill and they had the DBs there that could take care of them uh, if anything were to, to get loose. So um, that's where we, uh, that's where we tried to to build off of, and that's what we that was the philosophy we tried to, to take. Basically, is we wanted our kids to play fast; they didn't have to think, they didn't have to worry; they were secure because they had guys behind them to, to take care of it. So now you got five guys that are playing just downhill run all the time. It's not to say our linebackers won't drop, but they they're playing run first, second, and third basically.
0: Yeah, you know, that's a it's an interesting concept. We don't really see that much. It hasn't really come up to Iowa yet. Um, with that or at least in our area um, I haven't really seen it so I'm sure here in the next year or two we'll be seeing some teams I know Matt Myers out of Central City runs some two-man defensive front and we scrimmaged him and it wasn't really something we were familiar with um, you know kind of gave us some fits so I'm sure that uh, you know once teams you know are able to see it a little bit more and and understand it and of course you'll probably be out on the clinic uh, circuit you know and you'll be talking about it and people will learn about it and and things like that so it's a, it's coming, I'm guessing, for everybody. but
1: Yeah, hopefully. I mean, it's unique, and it's, it looks weird, and there's a lot of people out there that will just blast you for only pl- putting two at the line. They think that doesn't work, but if you look at it mathematically, if you can occupy three with two or occupy four with two even better, then, I mean, that's exactly what you want. You're trying to take away the numbers advantage from the, the offense. So that's how we look at it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a great idea. I mean, it's offensive principle playing defense. They're getting your numbers, but so I I talked a little bit about the clinic uh, circuit. I actually met you at that uh, Illinois clinic. Um, Mm -hmm. And the one thing um, we talked about, there was this telegram uh, chat app and and you've kind of become the facilitator. Um, Everybody kind of thinks you, you started it. You said you uh, just the other night, you said you didn't, but you kind of facilitate it. And, And knowing that you're a man that believes in, you know, high character and service and stuff, I, you know, this is kind of a way that you're serving coaches in, in the game. You want to talk, talk a little bit about the the Telegram app and, and, you know, kind of how you how you use it or, you know, the idea behind it and, and those kind of things.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it goes back to Coach Goodnight uh, down in Oklahoma and Coach Blosser down at Kansas uh, in Caldwell. They used to do the, the Twitter chat and, you know, Twitter chats were the, the big thing for a few years there. You still got the, the Texas high school football chat. That's massive on there. Uh, Coach Schiffman's got his big hog football chat. And uh, some of the other states have come and gone with some chats. There've been Florida, Georgia, et cetera, along the other way. Well, they started the the Twitter eight man one and it was a blast. You know, I, I always want to talk eight man football. It's really hard to, to connect uh, with eight man football coaches typically and, I remember going back to 2011 when I first got into eight-man football and first even heard about it, trying to figure out what the heck to run or what it even looked like. I mean, I was on YouTube trying to find stuff. There was barely anything on there. Trying to search on the, the web for some stuff. There was barely anything on there for resources. So I knew if I got the chance, if I came across anybody along the other way that I always wanted to say, okay, here's what I found. What have you found? And I wanted to, to make those connections and you know, try and connect other people to it as best I could. So the Twitter chat was going and, you know, we had some fun on there. We had five to 10, I think maybe 15 guys that would participate on in that periodically. And um, I still have no idea to this day what his actual name is, but um, he went by coach D I think that was his Twitter name. And that's what his name was on the telegram chat for quite a while too. He was out in California but he suggested one time, he's like, why don't we just move this to Telegram? I was like, that's a great freaking idea. I mean, I was already on Telegram in a, a triple option chat. So uh, I went on there real quick, um, created a, a group, sent out the, the link, and started getting guys added in there. Uh, you know, we got Blosser and we got Goodnight and Coach D, who I don't even think's in there anymore. Actually, I think he's moved on to 11, man. But um, we got all those guys in there and started talking ball and uh, it just kind of snowballed from there because a lot of other people out there, had the same attitude that I did that when they got into eight-man football they could not find any kind of resources. I know Coach Bishop has talked about that at length and he's been one of the, the best uh, I've ever heard as far as you know telling people okay, when you're transitioning from 11 man to eight man, this is what you're looking for and I'd love to have had that in 2011 when I did that. So um, it's fantastic resource for all of us. It's always good to, to hear you know different uh, opinions and different scheme, you know, ways of thought on scheme and philosophies and all those kind of things. And we all learn from each other. And, you know, you've got uh, Coach Myers and and Coach uh, Hopman, you know, running single wing. And uh, you got Coach Bishop and Coach Justice that, you know, like to to throw it a a little bit more. And, um, you know, you've got me and and Burks running spread option. I think uh, Coach Fuller out in California is running some similar stuff. To that and you, you've got some other you know option guys in there, and you know defensively we got two three and you know three two and and um, four two guys in there, and you got the multiple guys in there with uh, like Coach Dean that kind of uh, he really he's a base three three, but he likes the the philosophy of being a multiple, and he kind of takes the the offensive approach. As he even said it the other day in his clinic talk that you know they can be flexible, why can't I? So he teaches it that way, and he does a fabulous job, and it's always good and just like when you're going to a clinic you always try and take one or two things from each clinic but if you're only going to you know one to three clinics a year you're not picking up a whole lot well I feel like in the, the chat then we've been able to, to pick up a, a ton from each other you know coach Luther up in Baxter, Iowa um, during COVID was getting the, the zooms going and uh, we had a bunch of Sunday night zooms and I'll talk and heard different philosophies and different topics uh, then we tried to kind of restarted a little bit this spring uh, I'm not as maybe organized or as ambitious as coach Luther so I've kind of I haven't gotten them as frequently and you know obviously we don't have COVID either so we're a little bit uh, busier than we were two years ago but it's it's just been a great time and the, the friendships I've made and the connections I've made and it's just been invaluable. And there's so many guys in there that I know appreciate it. And it's so cool. I think we're up to almost 170 guys. And we've got over 20 states represented. I don't even know what the exact number is anymore. But, you know, we've got a still got a member in there from New Zealand, I think. And, you know, we've got a guy in Washington and we're about to lose our Florida guy. He's about to move to Idaho, Idaho. But, you know, I mean, pretty much every state that's out there for a man I think we've got a representative from other than a a small handful so it's just cool to hear what's going on in certain states and you know what's the prevailing offense in those states and and just all of that 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 goes along with it and seeing the, the trends kind of ebb and flow across the country and you know being able to help teams and help coaches and get that experience I mean we've got probably at least five or six guys in there, maybe more that have won titles. I and mean, if you got that much experience in, in one little place at your fingertips, I mean, that's that's pretty freaking cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can I can echo that. I think it's been one of the most valuable things as an, eight, as an eight-man coach. Um, you know, those Zooms during COVID were incredibly helpful. And, and our previous guest, Coach Wharton, he was talking about, that's when they went eight-man. And he said, you know, you had weekly clinics I, I mean would we almost have 10 10 probably um, probably you know, yeah. people that were were zooming you know offense defense you know program building those kind of things and you know the the telegram app you can have a thought and you put it out there and you have you know a handful of guys that'll instantly get get back to you and you know you can branch off and have a great conversation i it's absolutely been valuable um as a coach you know and and i appreciate it and i'm i'm sure everybody would echo that thought too that we appreciate you keep it going and, and inviting people and, and things like that. But so uh, just a couple things um, here left. Um, you've been around the game for you know coaching eight man for a while in different schools, different types of programs, communities. You know you're just getting started. You've you've taken team. You know been very successful. And what's some advice that you would give other coaches that they can you know take from you and just implement maybe right away this this spring or this coming summer and fall. What's a piece of advice you could give somebody they could implement in their program? Um,
1: There's a a lot of different things. Um, The biggest thing that I've learned probably more times than I should have because I should have learned it the first time, but you always feel like you're not doing enough or you you feel like you you need to to do more. Um, And I, I don't remember what coach I picked that up. I mean, that's a pretty common one, but There was an element of that that really hit home with me a few years ago, and I don't remember which coach said it. It was at a clinic or on a Zoom or something that it was a team that had just kind of made a turnaround and had just made a run in the the playoffs, and he said that the team that had knocked him out, it was a veteran coach that had knocked him out, came up to him. I think he was in his first or second year. He came up to him after the game and said, you're going to want to go back after this and want to change stuff and don't. Like don't overthink it. Trust what you're doing. Trust. Stick to your guns. Stick to the the way that you have built things, basically, and trust that it's going to work. And it did. And it might have been. Uh, it seems like something Bishop might have said, or the Bishop might have been told, but it, it may not have been. But anyway, great piece of advice. And you know, we're always so tempted to to blow things up if things go wrong, but there's a million reasons on why why that could have gone wrong. And Phil just said it again in his clinic the, the other day that we're all in coaching to be problem solvers uh, from a schematic standpoint. You know, we're trying to put our kids in the, the best position to, to win. So if something's not working, you have to figure out why. You know, if you're trying to be a power run team and your offensive line is like mine where they haven't been in the, the weight room and, you know, they're all 150 pounds, you're probably not going to get very far. So what's not working and how can you kind of solve that? Um, so schematically and strategy wise, that's a, a big thing to me. But the the biggest thing that has always guided me and it goes back to, you know, Gunther and Alexander's influence on me is you got to know why you're doing it. Um, you know, coaching's, coaching's a hard business. Uh, you, you're going to have, usually more failure than you will success, uh, whether it's on the, the field or even off, you know, it ta- takes a, a lot of time. It's a big investment and it's probably never going to be officially classified as a ministry, but it's a, a ministry. Absolutely. Uh, 100%. So if you're doing it to elevate yourself, if you're doing it to, um, just win some games or have some fun, you're, you're going to burn out on it real quick. Cause just like I've always told my players, you know, football is a game that's going to take a lot from you and you're not always going to necessarily see what it's given back at first. And I would say coaching is really pretty much the the same type of thing, you know, coaching any sport, but especially football itself is, it's going to take a lot from you. Um, it's going to, there's going to be elements of it that are going to attack you at times, and you're you're going to question why you do it. And if you don't have an answer, you then you're not going to stay in it. You're not going to have any reason to stay in it. And it's gonna it's gonna take even more from you. And that's that's not something that any of us wants to wants to to deal with. And I think from talking with coaches the last couple of years since COVID, I know there's a lot of guys that are getting out of it but I don't think they're getting out of it because they don't know their why. I think they're getting out of it because their why has changed. They, they've realized some other things are more important. Uh, they've realized that maybe, you know, even though the kids, I, I think their why has changed uh, parents, their why has changed. And, you know, the, the ones that make it worthwhile, uh, going to sound like a major cynic when I say this because and I don't mean it to be but the ones that make it worthwhile from a parent standpoint and a kid standpoint they've changed uh in the the last two years as well and I think the the kids that we would have held on a little bit more for or the the parents that we would have held on for a, a little bit more that maybe they have reprioritized and maybe they're not necessarily in it the way that they used to be, and that has kind of opened the door for a lot of the the people that ruin it for everybody else, uh, unfortunately. So, um, you know, that sounds like a negative thing, and I don't mean it that way by any means. I mean it as a a sense of you have to know why you're doing it, and I have been in a position the last seven years, I guess, since I was at Lincoln in 2015. Uh, if you, I was at Lincoln for a year and it was a very unpleasant experience. And ever since then, I have, if I've been in a coaching change type of situation or if I've dealt with the you know politics at North Shelby or just any other kind of question that's come up, I've always wondered about whether I should get out of it or not because I've always wavered between being a coach or a minister And just like I said a minute ago, it may not be labeled as such, but coaching is a ministry and God has kept me in coaching. God seems to be keeping me in coaching going forward. And for any of you that are maybe on the other fence that might be listening and you're you're wondering about your why, I would highly suggest praying because that's probably why you're in it. You're probably in it to Minister to kids and to to make a difference for them in their lives, and if God's for you, who can be against
0: you? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's that's very well said, there, Coach. Um, you, you know, let's a, a lot of people get burned out when they forget their why and why they got into it, and like you said, sometimes the why changes, and and uh, you know, different things come about, and and uh, I, I think that's a great way to. Kind of wrap up here, Coach. So uh, before we before we cut off here, um, how can listeners get in touch with you?
1: Just about any way that works for them. Um, you know, I'm on Twitter more than I should be, uh, at VandyFan13s. My handle on there. Uh, if they're not in the Telegram app, um, I, I can get them the link on there. Um, they're fi- they can feel free to, to email me uh, anytime. Um, wr.oc dot bass at gmail you know feel free to drop me an email and i can get you the telegram link or i can talk two three or i can talk spread option or i can talk life or you know whatever i don't care i'm always up for talking eight man football or football in general or you know faith or anything like those things so i'm um, i'm an open book i don't have much of a social life outside of telegram and twitter so um you know anybody that, that needs to, to talk about anything. um, um, I want to be there for
0: him. All right. Well, coach, I appreciate it very much. I always enjoy our conversations um, and I'm sure you'll be a repeat guest. So thank you very much for coming on and and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye. That's it for our show today. Hopefully you got at least 1% better from listening to today's episode. Please share the podcast and review if you enjoyed and learned today. You can follow us on Twitter at BeGreatFCP, that's B-E-G-R, the number 8, F-C-P, or send us an email at BeGreatFCP at gmail.com, that's B-E-G-R, the number 8, F-C-P at gmail.com. Remember to keep the main thing the main thing and to be great.